Again, we're glad you're here today, and as you could tell, uh, we wanted to honor the vets today. And just before I do that, uh, we have a couple of special young men, uh, young Marines that I believe are in the service today. Uh, first of all, there's Nick Snyder. Is Nick Snyder here? Stand up if you're, where are you at? Right here? Hey. Nick is a Marine reservist who just uh, got out of boot camp at PI, Paris Island. So congratulations. Great to have you with us, Nick. And uh, appreciate you. And then also we have Daniel Weiss. Is Daniel Weiss here? He got home a little early. Is he in this service? Okay, there he is. Yeah, another, another Marine. Just got off ship and joining us early. It's great to see you as well, Daniel. We would really like to honor all of our, our veterans today. And if you would all just stand, uh, we actually want to just show you our appreciation. And also, uh, we have a gift. Go ahead. Don't be shy. If you're a veteran, we'd like you to stand up. And then we have a gift coming to you. Let's show our appreciation. just want you to know, men and women that, uh, who are veterans, that we appreciate you so much and, and the sacrifices that you've made, again, to uh, keep our country uh, the way it is, to make our country free and especially fond uh, to our hearts is the freedom we have to worship God in any way we see fit. And again, we just thank you for your service. Thank you very much. So. One, one more thing before we dive in. If you're, uh, if you're new here at Grace, uh, we would, we'd love for you to grab one of the cards on a chair rack in front of you, fill that out. If you do that, after the service, if you take that to the information table, we have a, a gift there waiting for you that we would like for you to have. But we're going to dive right into our series. We're in a series called uh, Outlaws, and uh, it, we're talking about faith-inspired defiance. And We've left off, we did Daniel chapter 1 and 2, now we're in Daniel chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles on the chair rack in front of you, it's page 884. And if you don't have a Bible, again, if you, would just, if you don't own a Bible, then you can just stop by our information table in the, in the atrium out there and we will give you a Bible as a gift from our church to you. So again, we're glad that you're here. Well, here's how it picks up. I'd like to set the context uh, just before I start reading, and if you'll remember from last week, what happened is Israel was, was a nation, then it reached its peak under David and Solomon, but then people started not following God, and, and the nation came under hard times. It was actually split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom actually was conquered first, and then the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, that was made up of just two of the 12 tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and, but had Jerusalem as its capital, they fell to this new world power, Babylon, led by Nebuchadnezzar. When he conquered, sieged, and sacked Jerusalem, 
He also then took articles from the temple, but he also took the best and the brightest young people away to Babylon, that's in modern-day Iraq, in order to serve the empire. And then Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken in captivity to serve the empire. They were sort of enrolled as the best and the brightest into the royal academy. They did that for three years without compromising uh, their worship to the one true God. At the end of the three years, they were found to be far superior to any of the others. They were at the head of their class. They were given uh, positions in the province of Babylon. So they graduated the Heather class. They got sweet jobs afterwards. And that's kind of where the story picks up in chapter 3. And let's, let's read it together beginning in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And I'll just stop there and describe what a cubit is is about 18 inches. It's really the measurement of a man's forearm. That's what they use as a unit of measurement. And basically the way this translates is that this image was 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide overlaid with gold. And it continues. The Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed... To you, the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, basically his band, and all, all this music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And so now, when they're talking about falling down, and, or, or sometimes it's translated in different versions to bow, it's not just a bow like a Thailand bow, not just a courteous bow. This was a fall down, meaning down on hands and knees with your forehead to the ground in, in worship of this image. And that's what they're calling them to. And so if you can imagine, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're called with all the other government officials to go out to this image outside the city of Babylon. And then when the band plays, that signals everybody hits the ground worshiping the image. But but these three, they can't do it. They worship the Most High God. They cannot worship any other gods. And so they don't do it. But unfortunately, they have enemies. And the enemies, even in their own class of wise men, especially named here, were the Chaldeans. And these Chaldeans noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't bowing. And so they then, after this happened, went and reported that to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, basically, they, they ratted them out to get them in trouble. 
And then what happened was basically Nebuchadnezzar's reaction was everything that they could have hoped for. And we'll pick that up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. It's just everything they wanted to happen. 14. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, trier, his band, when you hear my band, and all kinds of music, fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. If you do this, okay, he's giving them a second chance. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, when he ends, he basically comes, he gives them a second chance, kind of uncharacteristic of Nebuchadnezzar, who's kind of an overreactor, but he gives these guys a second chance, maybe because he knows them, they're high officials, he knew they graduated top of their class, whenever that was in the past, and he gives him a rare second chance. And then he says, and if you don't do it this time, you're going to be cast in. You're going to be executed by fire. There's a furnace nearby this image they used to build the image. And they're going to throw him in that. And so when he says, what God is there who can save you from my hand? That's a rhetorical question. He's not really expecting an answer. He's saying there is no God that can. It's kind of like parents when you say, do you want a spanking? It's kind of rhetorical, you know, we're not looking for a dissertation after that, a simple no or a nod of the head, you know, we get it. Well, that's what's happening here. Now check out, check out what happens in verse 16. They, they do answer, here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this manner. And, then, and check out what they say. Amazing stuff. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then check this out. Some of the greatest words in scripture, really. Think, check this out. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Again, he kind of overreacts here. Really, if he wanted him to suffer more, he could have made it less hot. You know, that would just take him longer to die. But whatever. He's in a rage. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Heat it up seven times more, you know. And so they do that. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army that tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste, and he said to his officials, 
Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. And he said, well, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came and basically the son of the gods, we believe this is the angel of the Lord who shows up every once in a while in the Old Testament that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Could be just an angel, but a lot of scholars believe this is actually the angel of the Lord, which means it's Jesus Christ himself, pre-incarnate, appearing to them. Then Nebuchadnezzar, he came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High guy, God, and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. Kind of interesting. You know, these furnaces were kind of milk bottle shaped and they had a flu would increase and they had a way to do billows. So the billows, it's seven times hotter. So, you know, they're cranking out the billows. But in the bottom where they fuel the fire, you could look in there. Just be kind of an arched doorway. Nebuchadnezzar's looking in and he's seeing all this. He calls them out and they still obey him. Isn't that interesting? Again, scripture's telling us that we are to obey our authorities unless it's against what God has said. Unless, unless in doing that we're disobeying God. You know, our, the title of our series is Outlaws, but we're only outlaws when somebody tells us to do something that's against what God commands. Story continues. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the, be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Now Nebuchadnezzar is commending them. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to... Kind of goes off the bandwagon again, again, over reactor. And their house is reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. So you follow this, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he sets up this golden image. Maybe it's the image that he had in the dream from the, past, the chapter before. He sets it up, overlays it with gold, and everybody has to worship it. There's a furnace nearby used to build it. And then he says, and the punishment is immediate execution for anybody who doesn't do this. Well, the three don't do it. And, uh, and then, you know, that's an issue with the king. They're ratted out by some of the, the Chaldeans. And then they have this confrontation with the king. And, and then they say, well, we're not going to do it. And they're thrown in. The mighty men, the, the, the most valiant warriors of the army that, that are commanded to, take, to tie them up, they tie them up, they take them up to a ladder to throw them into the, the flue of the, the furnace. 
Well, it's so hot that these guys are singed and scorched to death and fall off the furnace before they ever get the guys in and the guys fall in. And then Nebuchadnezzar sees them in there walking around. He commands them to come out. They actually obey him and come out. And what's this all teaching us? You know, well, that we should choose faith inspired defiance over compromise. These, these three men, they didn't compromise. They could have said, well, you know, hey, I'm bowing on the outside, but I ain't bowing on the inside. You know, they, they weren't doing any of that stuff. They chose to do, honor God and defy the king is exactly what they did. And, and they did that because they were able to take courage in the face of whatever was happening. A lot of people don't understand this about Christianity. Just this week, uh, there was a, 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 a man who is an atheist in the office, and, uh, it w- which is not uncommon. I mean, we love those conversations. But uh, this guy said, you know, it's just too easy to be a Christian. It's just too easy that you can say you believe in Jesus, and then just because you do that, all your problems and troubles just magically go away for the rest of your life. That's kind of a misrepresentation of Christianity, right? Any Christians here have any troubles, any problems, any anything? You know, that, that's the impression that people have. No, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is, hey, follow God and God will be with you no matter what you go through. And God will give you direction for your life. And we can take courage in that. We can take courage in following God in the face of fire or threats or anything else. And here are these three guys just like Daniel, we don't know where Daniel is, but just like Daniel, they draw the line at the word of God. Hey, I will obey you. They get dressed up. They, go, they march all the way out to the, the plain of, of Dura. They're doing all that stuff. They're standing at attention. But when it comes to bowing down, they don't do it. And then they suffer the consequences. It's life or death. It's, it's all or nothing. You know, it's offend man or offend God. But it's kind of like this in every area of our life. Every idol that we tend to put up in our life is always basically saying, serve me or life isn't worth living. Hey, you want to be happy? You want to have abundant life? Serve me, the idols in our lives will say, and then our life will be better. And we see it all the time, kind of in our language. It's the language of idols and, and unlike Thailand, where Tutu is from, they have idols all over the place. But our idols are more subtle. And, and what happens, and sometimes you'll pick up on it by the language that we use. If you ever catch yourself saying something like, wow, if I ever lost blank, then I, I, don't, I don't know that life would be worth living. I, I don't know if I could go on. Well, whatever you put in that blank, it's possible that is an idol in your life that you've put up above even God, and we can't do that. What's more important to you than God? Because God will see us through anything. And a lot of times what becomes, we we talk about this a lot, but a lot of times what becomes idols in our lives, it's not bad stuff, it's not a, a Buddha it's something good in our life. And the classic good thing, it's our kids or something like that or a relationship or a job, you know, or whatever it is. And we put that up. 
I'll, I'll give you an example. If you find as a parent that your kids are showing you kind of continuously in the habit of showing you disrespect, or they disrespect other authorities in their life, like their teachers or whatever, it's probably because you've made that child an idol in your life. Which means this, you would rather um, do anything, you would rather not make them obey than suffer their displeasure. So basically you're putting, you rather do what they want than what God tells you to do, which is to bring them to obedience, to teach them how to obey. That's how idols start in our lives. And then we wonder, why, what, what we do is we think we're putting them first, but that only serves to mess them up. Does that make sense? That's, that's what we could do in our life. Or, like Nebuchadnezzar, sometimes we get really angry. Sometimes when we react with, with an anger that surprises even us, it's because maybe somebody's messing with an idol in our life, we don't even realize it. If you ever find yourself saying, wow, I don't know why I got so angry. Wow, I don't know where that came from. A lot of times if we just rewind and find out what happened that right before I blew up, it might be that somebody was challenging or threatening something that's become an idol in our life. We've got to watch that stuff. We've got to keep God first. These guys have the courage to stand up to the most powerful man alive in the world at that time. And he basically says, bow and live. Don't bow and die right now by fire. And they decide to defy the king. And of course, we just say, yeah, they defied the king. That wasn't an easy thing for them to do. I mean, they were guys just like us, right? They're standing there, probably when all this is playing out, they're going, oh boy, wow, that's a bummer. How do we end up here? And well, you know, they're going to play this music and we got to hit the ground. And well, we can't really do that. We can't worship this false God. I mean, where's Daniel anyway? I mean, what's up with him? Why isn't he here? What's he off on assignment for? You know, and they're just, they're probably having this conversation. Hey, you know what? Maybe nobody will notice. Maybe if we just stand a little lower, nobody will notice we're not bowing down. You know, no telling what kind of conversation they're having, but they can't do it. They, they got to bow. And then, sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar didn't notice, but somebody did, and they're ratted out. My enemies, just guys that are jealous, working the same job, and phew, then they're in trouble. You know, they're, they're, probably, they're probably standing there, man, I hate fire. I hate to be burnt to death. I'd rather freeze to death. You get all numb, you don't feel anything. Burning, that, oof. you know, they're probably praying, God, do something. You know, do something right now. And, and all this is playing out. But check out their response. It's amazing. They basically say, hey, King, after the king tells him, bow or die, and what God can deliver you from me? I'm going to kill you right now. They basically say, oh, our God can deliver us. Don't make no mistake about that. He can do it if he wants to. But the amazing thing is he says, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve your gods. and We're not going to worship your image. That's some gutsy stuff, isn't it? These guys are studs. You know, these guys are men. You know, hey, he's, he's saying, hey, 
Whatever God does or doesn't do, it doesn't matter. We're going to serve him and him alone, and we'll just take the consequences. Whatever God lets happen, let it happen. We'll just trust him. We'll accept the outcome either way. Courage. They also, something else that we need to do, as we look at this story, not only should we have courage, but we need to also trust what I will call the curious timing of God. Has, have everyone noticed this? The timing of God is not always our timing, right? We need to put our trust in the curious timing of God. I mean, let's face it. The timing here where God finally shows up, that's not when I would have picked for God to show up. How about you guys? I mean, there's, and I could play it out in my mind a bunch of different ways. You know, the king confronts them, and the three guys are standing there. And the king says, hey, I'm going to throw you in the fire. Hey, mighty men, come and tie these guys up. And then behind them is this huge hulking angel. And then the king, and these guys are like, whoa! You know, that would have worked. Or maybe as king's telling the mighty men, hey, tie this guy up. You know, he's going to give the orders, and all of a sudden, he can't talk. You know, nothing comes out. It's like, yeah, God showed up. But here, that, that's the way I would make it. You know, that makes sense to me. If I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I probably wouldn't wait until I was tossed into the furnace. But that's what God does. They're, they're tied up. They're hauled up there. And, and they're tossed in. Not probably what Shadrach and his buddies were hoping for there timing wise but that's the way it is with God sometimes his timing's perfect but to us curious like what you know why why then why not earlier I, I say this because when we decide to obey God in whatever area in our life we kind of expect God to show up immediately and take care of business for example, you know, guys make, people make decisions like this all the time. It's just a decision to do things God's way. A guy, you know, might decide, wow, I think I'm kind of putting work way too high of a level here. Work's like becoming an idol to me. I need to back off, stop the 80-hour weeks, and really bring some more balance into my life because that's what God would want me to do. So he does. He backs off. He makes the decision. He backs off. And then he thinks, okay, I'm only doing this because I know God would want me to do this. And so he's thinking, well, since I'm doing this for God, you know, maybe God will give me a promotion or a raise. And instead, about three weeks later, he gets demoted or fired. And it's like, what happened there? I'm doing what God wanted me to do, but all of a sudden I'm experiencing. Here's the thing. Whenever we dethrone an idol in our life, expect to be in the fire. There's going to be some consequences. That's okay, not okay for us, but that's okay in God's plan for things. When you defied a false God, you're going to find yourself in the fire. We all know God can answer prayer. The question is, how do you respond when he doesn't answer your prayer according to the timing that you want him to do? What about that? How do we react to that? That's the question. I know a man 
in our church family committed a wrong against his wife, admitted it, confessed it to her and others and repented, totally changed his life around for months, has been trying to repay her to, you know, just follow God and just be the model husband, been doing all that, just doing, turning his whole life over to God, has become a believer, all these things. But now months down the road, after he's consistently done all these things, his wife decides she's going to date other guys first and get a divorce second. What happened? We think it's not supposed to work that way. But see, God's telling us sometimes he will meet us in the fire. That's his timing. It's not always he's going to deliver us. And and I think what God's trying to tell us here is that the fire is not the worst. We think the fire is the worst place to be, but the fire is not the worst place to be. Because that's where we meet Jesus. How many of you would say, yes, I've experienced that in my life, that when I went through the hardest, most difficult times, when I was kind of in the fire of my life, that's where my relationship with God was closer than than it's ever been. That happens to a lot of people. God has a plan through all this. That's what I'm telling you. No matter what you're going through, God has a plan. The fire is where we experience God's presence and God's provision. God's presence. It's interesting because they were given a second chance. A little out of character for Nebuchadnezzar, but if they would have bowed the second time, they would have been saved from the furnace, right? But they would have been saved by Nebuchadnezzar instead of being saved by God. They stuck to their guns. They did what they, they should have done. And they experienced the presence of God. I bet when they were tossed in or when they fell in, when the other guys fell off and they, they went in, I bet they closed their eyes. I mean, I would, right? Kind of like you'd close your eyes so your eyeballs won't be burnt, but then you know that's not really going to help you. But, you know, I would just do that automatically. That's the way I'd do it. And that, so that's probably the first thing. that ah! But then the second thing they're probably thinking is, this is not hurting near as bad as I thought it would hurt. Because they're not getting burnt. You know, it'd be like, whoa, this isn't so bad. What is going on? And then they open their eyes, and who do they see? Jesus in the fire. They experience God's presence just like we can, no matter what we're experiencing in our life. And sometimes the presence of God is the most real in our lives when we're going through the, the worst things that we'll ever face. And then you have Nebuchadnezzar, he's looking in, into the furnace where they feed the fire, kind of the opening there at the bottom of this thing, at the bottom of it, he's looking in. And, and then it's not just the three of them unbound and walking around, there's a fourth. And then, you know, he calls them out. And, and they still obey. And, but, but I'm thinking, when they're in there walking around, what are they doing? They're walking around with Jesus. I'm thinking they're talking. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar can't hear them talk, but I'm thinking probably they're having a conversation in there. What else would they be doing? They're walking around. You know, maybe Jesus, or the angel of the Lord, but Jesus is there going, I saw the whole thing. Good job. 
You guys, you stood up. You guys have guts. You're men. Way to go. You know, maybe he's, wow, I saw it. You did it. You were faithful. Maybe, probably not. But maybe Jesus is saying, oh, by the way, you know your three pagan names that, that they gave you when they took you into captivity and they named you after all the pagan gods? Do you know that that God followers for thousands of years will remember your three pagan names and be inspired to be faithful to the most high God. He could have told them that because it's true. We experience the presence of God when we turn to him at any time in our life, especially when we turn to him in the most difficult times. There's a freedom that comes from faith inspired defiance. There's a freedom that comes with following God. We hear this from Christians all the time. We hear this around our church all the time. When people will say something like, well, you know, I thought if I ever got cancer, my world would just fall apart. I feared it so much, but then it happened and it ended up that I found a closer relationship with Christ than I had ever experienced before. We, we hear this stuff all the time. Or some lady may say, you know what? I thought if my husband ever left me, divorced me for somebody else, that I would just shrivel up in bitterness and anger and loneliness. But instead... I found a closer relationship with Jesus than I've ever had in my life. Do you hear stuff like that? We hear people say that all the time. Why? Because in the fire, in the bad times, they experience the presence of God. You know, we tend to pray for less heat, an easier life, richer, more secure life, but there's something better. You see, we would expect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, they probably did. They probably prayed to God for deliverance from the fire, but instead they got deliverance in the fire. Sometimes, you see, God wants to meet us in the fire. Well, we will experience his presence like we've never experienced it before. There's an intimacy with God that comes only when we meet God in the fire. Anybody ever experience that? There's a time, the worst times in your life, sometimes, that's what we've been talking about, will be when you'll experience God more than any other time. And God's provision. Can you imagine God providing this way for them, how they would have reacted for the rest of their life? Do you think these three guys, say 15 years later, if somebody said, hey, do this, which is against God, or I'm going to kill you, you think, you know, they're probably just like, pfft. Right, bring it, kill me. Yeah, why? Because they learned about not only God's presence, but God's provision. You know, they, they got all that. And that's the same with us. God has provided for us at our deepest, most serious, profound need through Jesus Christ, every one of us. Because our deepest need is the fact that we are all sinners against God. That even though God's created us with this, this free will to choose right or wrong, and he's told us what right is, we've all violated that standard. 
We all deserve punishment because God is just and holy and righteous. But because God loves us, he provides his one and only son to die in our place so that we can be with God forever, that our sins could be forgiven. You see, every false God says, serve me or life's not worth living. But the one true God says, I will die for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 2,000 years ago, he came in the flesh, meaning he came, was born as a human baby, grew up, taught us how to follow God, what the law meant, the ramifications of all that. But ultimately, he came to die on the cross in payment for our sins. And the way we get that, all of us in the same boat, all of us sinners, all of us deserve hell. All of us deserve the fire. All of us deserve separation from God forever. But if we just place our faith or our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, this is a whole message of the Bible, then he'll forgive us. We'll be, that's what it means to be a true Christian, one who placed their trust in Christ. It'll change our lives forever. Interesting thing about the story is that's the last we hear of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know how long they lived. They may have lived a long time. I can imagine if they did live a long time, I bet every once in a while they got together, kind of like war vets do. You know, you get together every few years and you reminisce about how it was. Are you with me? They probably put on their old robes that they wore when they were in the furnace, the ones their wives wanted to throw out because they were old, but they wouldn't let them, you know, let them throw out. And they probably put those off. They probably sat around and talked about the time they defied the most powerful man in the world. Talked about the time they were thrown in the furnace. Talked about when they met Jesus face to face. Can you see it? You think they ever regretted that, ever? No. How about you? What's going on in your life? Is there anything that's out of whack in your life that's, that's superseding God? Because if there is, it's time to take a stand and eliminate that and ruthlessly deal with that in your life and turn your whole heart to God. If there's anything that you're bowing to, anything at all, it's time to take a stand. If you happen to be here and you're not sure that you've ever put your trust in Jesus to become a Christian, that's what it means to be a true Christian. It's not about what church you go to or what membership or where you were baptized or if you were baptized or anything like that. It's trusting Christ, one heart to God. If you'd like to know more about that, I'll meet you in a room we call room one. It's this room that you can see right here. And uh, I'll be there to, and some other pastors will be there as well to, to talk to you about that if you want to. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Father, we thank you. 
for your goodness. Thank you for the example of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their story. Lord, and what they did thousands of years ago and how that can even uh, encourage us and impact us today. Lord, give us faith-inspired defiance. Give us courage. Lord, help us to trust your timing even though we don't understand it because we, we've experienced your presence and your provision. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing together again.